morning, church family. Y'all came to sing today, especially Sonia. You know it's going to be a good day when the praises of God's people can be heard all the way to the gates of hell. So it is a good morning. And I want to give a big shout out to uh, Rachel Smith. Rachel is one of the church's supported missionaries, and she has a ministry in Peru. And she's actually here for us this weekend and still chose to serve. So a big uh, hi, Rachel. Welcome home. So how many of you had and are willing to admit that when you were growing up, you had an imaginary friend? A few of you, more of you should be raising hands. I know this. My daughter, Angie, had an imaginary friend named Ocho. And Angie would often tell us at dinner what she and Ocho had done together during the day. Imaginary friends, they're not an uncommon experience. A small stamp sample study done in 2004 found that 65% of its participants had an imaginary friend at least one point in their childhood. We see examples of imaginary friends in pop culture. Many of you are familiar with the greatest comic strip ever created, Calvin and Hobbes, right? <laughs> Calvin was a mischievous little six-year-old boy and uh, his imaginary friend and stuffed tiger, Hobbes. A.A. Um, a. Milne created Winnie the Pooh, who was modeled after the imaginary friend of his son, Christopher Robin. Some of you might be familiar with uh, Bing Bong, the uh, pink elephant from the animated movie Inside Out. Or you remember the classic Jimmy Stewart movie, Harvey, right? Uh, Harvey was uh, Jimmy's imaginary big giant white rabbit friend. I find having an imaginary friend to be this interesting phenomenon. And it raises this question in my mind. What is it about relationships with others that is so natural and so important that human beings would even imagine them into existence to have that connection. This weekend, we continue our fall series, This Is Us, a series sharing who we are as Lake City Community Church, or LC3 for short. And over the next 10 weeks, we will be examining the topics that we consider and value as important as a church. Our goals for this series are twofold, to relate and to remind. That is to relate to newcomers and to remind regular attendees what it is that is the DNA and heartbeat of this church. Last week, Randy and I covered what the church is and what our mission and vision are. And next week, Pastor Mark Gothier will be teaching on discipleship. And this weekend, I want to talk about relational environments. Relational environments. So when we use that term relational environment as a church, what we mean by that are places where we build, experience, and deepen relationships between people. We build, experience, and deepen relationships between people. Another commonly used word to describe this is the word community. We believe in community. And during this message, I'll be using those terms interchangeably. But it's in relational environments, it's in community, where we really see discipleship, fellowship, and congregational care lived out. This is where we see that happen. But why? Why are relational environments important to us? Why ought a church value the building and deepening of relationships between its people? Well, we believe as a church that the Bible teaches that you and I 
We're made for community. We're made for those relationships. We see this fact established during the story of creation. So in Genesis chapter 1, right, we see God speaking the universe into existence, right? Let there be light. There was light. And on the sixth day, God made Adam. He made man. And so in Genesis chapter 2, where it's talking about the sixth day of creation, God says this about Adam before he created Eve. God says this, it is not good that the man should be alone. Not good that man should be alone. The Bible tells us at the end of the sixth day of creation that God looked back at everything that he created and said, oh, it's good. But here, before the end of that sixth day, he sees man alone and says, nope, that one thing, not good. And so God created Eve. Right In the perfection of Eden, something was not good. And so God created another human being, put them in relationship with one another, and said, oh, now, now it's good. You and I were created to experience relationship with others. There's a doctrinal concept called social Trinitarianism. And that's just a fancy term explaining how you and I were created to be in relationship and community. This belief combines two important separate pieces of doctrine, the doctrine of the Trinity and the doctrine of Imago Dei, the doctrine that we're made in the image of God. You combine those two, you get social Trinitarianism. How? So the doctrine of the Trinity is one of the most fundamental core doctrines in Christianity. This is what our doctrinal statement reads. It says this, we as a church, we believe in one triune God existing eternally in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? Three persons, one God. That's the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, the doctrine of Imago Dei comes from Genesis 1, 6, 26. The Bible says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Of all the things in creation, only human beings were made specially and specifically to be like God. How so? In what way is that true? Well, being made in God's image likely means several different things. But in social Trinitarianism, what it means is this is where these doctrines connect. That God, by himself, is a relational being. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in relationship with each other, one person. And because you and I are made to be like God, if God is relational, therefore we should be as well. Right? God is relational. We're made in his image, therefore, we are also to be made in relationship. We're made for human connection. And we see that throughout the Bible that God is intentionally building up a community of his people to be in relationship with one another. For example, God took his people out of Egypt and established them as a community in the promised land, put them together. When God exiled his people to Babylon, he exiled them, and he still created a community of his people in Babylon together. When he brought them back from Babylon, back still together. In Acts, we see the creation of the early church, another example of God putting his people together in relationship. Right? The church is God's gathered people. And what we see throughout the Bible is God accomplishing that purpose. The Bible says, but you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, 
Now, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You and I were created to be a community of God's people. And more than just being created for community, there are actually a lot of benefits. There's reasons why we ought to be in relational environments together. And it's this. God has designed relational environments to be the vehicle through which he cares for and loves his people. Right? In relational environments, it gives God the opportunity to care for and love his people. God loves us. God loves us, and he shows that in countless ways each and every day. But one of the most direct ways that God has designed for us to experience his love is through other believers. God shows us his love through his people. We were designed for that. We're better together. Author of Ecclesiastes was King Solomon. And outside of Jesus, King Solomon is considered the wisest man who ever lived. And in all of his wisdom, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 4, King Solomon wrote this. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. This is the word of the Lord. Wisest man who ever lived outside of Jesus. And he writes these things about the benefits that we have in being in relationship with one another. And I think he makes four points about those benefits. Here's the first. You and I, in relational environment, we can accomplish more together. We can accomplish more together. Right? Solomon said two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. And that phrase, good reward for their toil, can also be translated, they can work more effectively. Right? Together, we, we can get more done together at a faster rate. There's a saying, many hands make light work, which doesn't come from the Bible, by the way. It just sounds like it does. But having more people on a project together reduces the work. By the way, the only time additional hands don't make the work go faster is when a homeowner tries to help a contractor. <laughs> I saw this humorous sign. Plumber hourly rate. $100 an hour is the standard fee. $150 an hour if you watch. $175 an hour if you help. $200 an hour if you worked on it first. And $250 an hour if you tell me how to do my job. But that's the only situation where having more people isn't helpful. In general, Working together with others accomplishes more than what one person could do solo. You know, several times a year, we have a, the Global Missions team organizes a missions, missions luncheon. And afterwards, we just have the attendees volunteer to clean up and put away the tables and chairs. And it is so much faster when more people are helping. You and I accomplish more together. Second, when we're in community, we can support each other. We can support each other. The Bible says, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, 
But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. I actually saw this played out this week. Early this week, I got to visit one of the members of this church who had fallen outside her house and gotten injured. And because it was late in the evening and she lives alone, it took nearly half an hour of her yelling for assistance before a neighbor heard her cries for help. King Solomon says that other people are there for the purpose of helping out in situations like this. In the context of a church, this is especially true. One of the purposes of our small group ministry is to build relationships between people, not just to study scripture together, not just to fellowship and to pray together, but also it gives the people in the small group the opportunity to support each other in times of need. At this time, I'd love to show one such testimony of a small group uh, supporting each other. Check this video out. Hi, my name is Ray Corgan. I'm here with my wife, uh, Angel, and another member of our small group, uh, Donnie. We wanted to talk to you a little bit about how we came to the church and got involved in small groups. Angel and I moved back to the region after living uh, 20 years overseas in Singapore. We got here in the spring of 2019. We started looking for a church and came across LC3 and uh, liked the structure that we saw online. So we came and attended to some worship uh, services and found that uh, we really enjoyed it. And in the fall, we wanted to get plugged into a small group. And we felt like the small group was gonna be important for us, um, getting us deeper into the word of God, providing us fellowship in a more intimate way with other believers and giving us a group that we could be accountable to and support uh, one another. Let Angel tell you a little bit more about our small group. Our small group was started with AJ and Carrie Mancini, and Chris Higby was also a mentor in our group, um, and several other believers, but we felt like we, could, we were getting connected back into the U.S. and into our community here. Hi, my name's uh, Donnie Richardson. A little bit about my story with the small group. My wife becomes sick December of 2020. She had, was diagnosed, she had a mass on her um, brain and it was a tumor that was cancer, glioblastoma, that was uncurable. She um, had, had that tumor removed, but the cancer was already spread. And it, the day one she went in the hospital, my small group, or our small group, Ray and Angel, being the leaders, took control and they came over to my side the day she went in the hospital because I, Tony told me, as you know, we weren't able to see anybody in the hospitals at all. Ray and Angel coincided with each other and our small group and they were there, they brought meals over, they helped me uh, take care of Pammy Sue as she was sick through up until she passed. And God, through our small group, led us to the right people and raised them up to give the kind of support that she needed, that, she needed, that Donnie needed. And, you know, we just all the whole time were saying without small group, without being connected, you wouldn't know who to turn to. You know, and so, like I said, God just all the way through raised up, you know, we needed something, God provided. We needed something, God provided. And it was encouraging to us as well as 
know, yeah, it was encouraging to me very much because everybody stepped up and I was lost. I didn't know what to do. Ray and Angel, they took control of it and helped me out through this whole, her whole sickness and they never left my side. And I love them all for that. Donnie, I know you're here, and I know Ray and Angel, they're away this weekend, uh, but watching online. Um, thank you again so much for just your vulnerability and transparency, for sharing just that incredible testimony of seeing brothers and sisters in Christ supporting each other uh, when there's a need. So just thank you for that. The Bible commands us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. By law of Christ, the Apostle Paul is referring to Jesus' command to love one another. And when we support each other, we are being obedient to that command. In relational environment, we get the opportunity to support one another. Third, in relational environments, we can meet each other's needs. We can meet each other's needs. King Solomon asked the hypothetical question, again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? So along with food and water, warmth or shelter is one, considered one of the most essential and most basic of human needs. And here, Solomon links the meeting of that basic human need to it being met by another person. That one of the benefits of relational environment is being the opportunity to meet each other's basic needs. In fact, the Bible says that one of the proofs of our understanding of the gospel, the understanding of God's love, is whether or not we do so. The Bible says this, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, well, how does God's love abide in him? That if we see a need in a brother or sister in Christ and we do nothing, it begs the question of whether we actually understand gospel love, whether we understand the, sa the sacrificial love of Christ. As followers of Jesus, we're called and commanded to meet the needs of those in the church. And this was the lived experience of the early church. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible says this, and they, those in the church, were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Several chapters later, it says this, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. In these three verses, we see the word need three times. And the early church responded to every one of those needs by finding a way to meet them together as a community. But from the very beginning, that was one of the purposes of the church, to meet each other's needs. I want to highlight two ministries of the church where we try to live out this purpose. The first is our benevolence fund led by Jacqueline Hightower. This fund was created to meet the financial needs of people in the church and those in our community. In fact, the offering that we take each month during communion services goes towards this fund. So church, listen, if you ever find yourself in a situation of financial need, please, please give us the opportunity to love you in the way that scripture has called us to love you. All you need to do is just contact the church office, 
They'll start you on the benevolence process and the benevolence committee will take it from there. A second ministry I want to highlight is our Caring Meals ministry led by Tammy Gwenzi. Our Caring Meals ministry seeks to care for the needs of people within the church by organizing meals provided by other members of the church. And so if you've had a new baby, you've undergone a recent surgery, you've experienced a recent loss, right? These people see that opportunity to love on you with food and they seize that opportunity. By the way, quick volunteer plug, if you love to cook and you love blessing others and you want to be involved in this ministry, can you just let us know on our connect card or through the app and we'll get you connected and put on the roster of folks who are available to meet the needs. But again, these are just the two examples of how community was created with a specific purpose of meeting needs. Lastly, in relational environments and community, you and I are stronger together. We're stronger together. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Solomon uses two analogies here, one of a person fighting another person and that of a rope. In the first analogy, it's easier for two people to withstand the attack of one person. In the rope analogy, a rope made of at least three strands is stronger and can withstand more weight and strain than a single strand. In both of these analogies, Solomon is making the point that we have strength in numbers. We're stronger together. I want to do a quick visual. So this is just a two pound weight. And I've got a single strand of yarn and a strand of yarn that is made of four of these single strands that are braided together. And so I'm just going to tie this single strand around this weight and we'll see what happens when we try to lift this weight on its own. So string, single strand of yarn lifting a two pound weight. Same type of yarn, same length, but this time it is four braided cords of the same thing, of the same yarn. And uh, once I tie it, a four, a four-fold cord, that's hard to say, four-fold cord trying to lift two pounds, lifts. Intuitively, this makes sense, right, that we are stronger in numbers. And while physical strength is what's being referenced here in these verses, I actually think that the principle that we're stronger in greater numbers holds true, whether we're talking about physical strength or whether we're talking about mental and emotional strength. Because yes, a three braided cord can withstand greater pressure. And isn't it also true that having several people with whom we can share our emotional and mental struggles with, well, we can also withstand greater pressure. I know this to be true from personal experience. For the last several years, I've been in an accountability relationship with another elder, and we meet regularly to share our struggles. In addition, I meet frequently with a personal counselor. And during seasons when I'm struggling with mental health issues, along with my wife, these men are my first line of support and defense. And their prayers for me, their counsel to me, their love of me. But I've gotten through my hardest seasons because of others. I am stronger because of their support. The Bible says iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. You and I are better and stronger with others. And so we were created for this. And there's a clear benefit of being in relationship with others. So where in the context of this church can we see that played out? 
I'd love to briefly describe the three primary relational environments in which you can engage here at Lake City. First, there are our corporate gatherings. Our corporate gatherings. By corporate gatherings, I mean all of those times where the whole church is invited to come together. This includes the weekend services where everyone is invited to come together, but it also includes special events like our concerts or prayer before Easter and Christmas, ministry events like our missions luncheon, next month's harvest carnival, our annual family reunion weekend during the summer. These are things where we're all gathered together. Now, given that we're a church of hundreds of people, you might not see that as relational, but I actually think that even at a high level, as a united body of believers, there's relationship there. How many of you ever watched a football or baseball game in person? Right, so if you ever watched a game, in, a sporting event in person, and the team that you're rooting for scores, don't you find yourself just excitedly high-fiving complete strangers? <laughs> but in that moment, they don't feel like complete strangers because you're united by a common bond and purpose. In the same way that when we're collectively gathered together to worship together, we may not know each other's names, but we're united in common purpose and bond. There's relationship happening at a high level. That's our corporate gathering. A second type of relational environment is our small group ministry. As a church, we prioritize small groups. We call ourselves a church of small groups rather than just a church with small groups. And what we mean by that is small groups are not just a ministry of the church like lots of different ministries. Rather, small groups is the approach that we take across all of our ministries because of how central we believe building relationships between smaller groups of people really is. Now, many churches have small groups, and they refer to them by a lot of different names. Home groups, small groups, life groups, community groups. I love the term used by Pastor Carl DeArmond, who's one of our supported missionaries as a church. And Carl uses the term gospel communities, right? Places where we can live out the gospel with other people. Small groups usually refer to 6 to 20 people that gather together here at church or at someone's home. And the purpose of these small group gatherings is discipleship, fellowship, and congregational care. Discipleship, fellowship, and care. This is where this happens, at an intimate setting. In these groups, people grow together in their faith. They hang out together socially. They love each other. They encourage each other. They study the Bible together. They go bowling together, they pray together, laugh together, cry together, serve together. They live life alongside each other in a deep and intimate way. Small groups are the life-giving environments where people really can build experience and deepen relationships with others. Now at LC3, our small groups normally meet weekly in the fall, take a break in the, in the winter, and then meet again in the spring before breaking for the summer. That's the traditional model. But we also have several ministries that gather together corporately as a large group and then break out into smaller uh, subsections. So for an example of that, MOPS, Mothers of Preschoolers, they launched last week. And they, again, they collectively meet together and then they break out into individual table groups. Reengage, our marriage ministry that meets every Thursday evening, does the same, where they have large groups, open groups together before breaking out into smaller closed groups. Our men's discipleship ministry, Every Man a Warrior, begins tomorrow and Tuesday. And they, again, similar, come together, break out into smaller groups. 
But we consider these ministries types of small groups, types of relational environments. And our encouragement is that everyone, everyone should prioritize trying to be connected with others in a smaller setting. Lastly, we believe in the concept of account accountability groups. Where corporate groups, corporate gatherings are hundreds of people and small groups, six to 20 people, accountability groups are two to three people. These groups meet regularly to share the intimate details of their lives, right? How they're feeling, what they're struggling with, what they need prayer for, how they can hold each other accountable to a set of accountability discipleship goals. And as a church, we don't actually have a formal ministry for this. This is just something that we encourage people as they develop Christian friendships to create and develop organically together. But accountability groups are another way where you can build relationships with others. I want to make one last point about relational environments and community, though, and it's an important one, and it's this. Ultimately, in and of itself, community is not the primary goal. Our primary goal as a church is not community. Our primary goal is, goal is Christ. Our primary goal is to be in Jesus and for Jesus to be in us. What do I mean by that? Well, as we explained last week, our primary mission as a church is to make fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And being a fully devoted follower of Christ means knowing Jesus more deeply and more fully. It means becoming more and more like Christ in our thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes. Being a fully devoted follower of Christ means prioritizing our faith in Jesus above all other things in our lives. The Apostle Paul declared, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Having a relationship with Jesus Christ should always, always, always be your primary goal. In comparison to knowing Jesus, everything else, including community, is a secondary goal. But when we're fully devoted, when we are in Jesus and Jesus is in us, two things will happen. When, when we pursue a relationship with Jesus, we will automatically pursue a relationship with others because Jesus commanded us to do so. In fact, Jesus declared that loving community with other followers of Jesus is the proof of our love of him. Jesus said this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When Christ is our primary goal and pursuing him, then pursuing community will be a byproduct of that. And the second thing that will happen when we pursue Jesus is that not only will we pursue community, but community can then actually happen. Because here's the truth, real, loving, united community can't actually occur without the transformative work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit within us. The reality is that human beings by nature were selfish, right? Our default heart attitude is one of selfishness. We naturally look out for our own interests first. And when you and I, we live in a culture that reinforces that every day. We're told to look out for number one. We're told to fight hard for the things we feel we're entitled to. 
And because of that, because of our culture, because of our own sin and default heart selfishness, you and I actually can't make community work. We can't. And so if you and I seek community apart from Jesus Christ, it will fail and it will fail miserably. Community only happens if each of us as individuals grows in our Christ-likeness by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when that transformation happens in the individual members of a faith community, then and only then will community flourish. Then and only then will relationships flourish. The closer that we are to, to Christ, the closer we are to community. The closer you and I are to Jesus, the closer than you and I can be to each other. C.S. Lewis put it this way, we don't come to church to be a church. We come to Christ, and then we are built up as a church. If we come to church just to be with one another, then one another is all we'll get, and it isn't enough. If we put community first, we will destroy community. But if we come to Christ first and submit ourselves to him and draw life from him, then community gets traction. The Bible says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. You and I, we can't have fellowship. We can't have community without the light of Jesus Christ. So where do we go from here? A few next steps. First, I will get plugged into the community at LC3. Whether you're brand new to us or whether you've been attending for some time but have been sitting on the sidelines instead of being actively engaged, our encouragement is that you would just get plugged into the life and community here at Lake City. The Bible tells us that you and I, we're family. We belong to one another. And if church is just something that you attend once a week, you're not going to experience what it means to be in church, what it means to belong. But if you dive right in, you will fully experience the fruits of being in real, authentic community. What does being plugged in look like? Well, it means a number of things. It means being consistent every week in church attendance. It means attending special events like next month's Harvest Carnival or next month's Missions Luncheon. It means finding a ministry to serve in. It means using your spiritual gifts for the benefit of others. It means inviting people that you know to come to church with you. It simply means being part of everything that God is doing here at LC3. This is us. And we so deeply want you all to be part of us. If you're not sure how to do that or where to get started, I'd love to invite you to our next starting point class. Our starting point class happens the second Sunday of every month during the 11 o'clock service hour. And in that class, we just explain and show all of our, give you a quick overview of our ministries and give you opportunities and ways to plug in. Otherwise, feel free to schedule time to talk to any one of our elders, any one of our pastors or our staff members. We would love the opportunity to talk to you about how you could get connected and connect you with ministries and other people. Second, I will become a member at LC3. Again, whether you're a member or not, you can always fully enjoy the worship, teaching, congregational care, and ministries of the church. But membership is a reflection of a deeper commitment. So to find out about membership, you can attend the next membership class, which is happening next Saturday, October 2nd, from 9 to noon. If you're interested in attending that class, will you please just let us know? Please mark that on the Connect card or through the app. And especially if you need childcare, we would like a headcount for that. So if you, if, you want, if you have interest in this class next week, please let us know. Church is family, so please consider membership.
At this time, I'd like to recognize all of our new members. About once a quarter, we introduce everyone who's gone through that last membership class and completed the membership process. There is an insert in this weekend's, uh, in the gather, on the tables in the gathering area, and the insert has a list of names and pictures uh, and a little information about all of the new members. So if you're one of those people and you're sitting in this service, will you please stand if you're one of the new members? Uh, Kyle, Carissa, I see you. James, anybody else in this service? Yeah, please welcome our new members. Thanks, guys. We're excited by your decision. And everybody here, I would encourage you to just go make a beeline to them after this service. We'll introduce yourself and get to know them. Lastly, I will join a small group. I will join a small group. Again, we believe that to really fully experience what church is, you need both the corporate gathering and the smaller, more intimate gathering. And small groups is the best vehicle for that. Uh, out in the gathering area are sign-up tables. You can look for the location and time that meets your family's needs. Um, and uh, yeah, just sign up. And by the way, we're seeing an increased interest in people joining small groups this year. So we're likely going to need to create a few new small groups this year. If you're interested in leading a small group and you haven't yet, will you please see Pastor David, talk to him, and we'll get you squared away. If your schedule does not allow you to join one of our traditional small groups, our encouragement is for you to join one of the ministries where they break out into smaller gatherings. So ministries like MOPS, Every Man a Warrior, Reengage, or form an accountability group uh, on your own. Um, but this is what we believe church is meant to do, right? Live out here corporately, but also live in smaller environments. So let's live that out. Church, it was so good to be with you this weekend. And here is the truth, that, we, that God designed us to be light amidst darkness. That he's designed us to be a beacon of hope in a world of despair. Recent surveys have shown a growing isolation and a growing sense of loneliness in the world. And in such a time as this, the light of Jesus Christ in the community of believers shines ever so much more brightly when we do that, when we, are, when we live out what it means to be church. Pastor and theologian Francis Schaeffer noted this, our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community is the final apologetic. It is the final proof of the truth that we believe in. How we connect with each other in loving community is the clearest proof to a watching world of the reconciling love of Jesus Christ. In a world where relationships can be imaginary or at least seem that way, the real authentic community of brothers and sisters in Christ stands out. You and I, we're the light of the world. So let your light shine before others so that they, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is the challenge and opportunity in front of us, church. And so let us live as a community of light and love to the praise and glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have designed us to be in relationship with one another and in relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would reside in us and that you would transform our hearts in such a way that we would be naturally drawn to be in community with one another. Lord, help, our help the relationships in this body to flourish because you are in them and growing them. Lord, may we be a witness to our neighbors, a witness to this community, a witness to Pierce County, a witness to the world of the reconciling power of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the opportunity and gift of being in relationship with one another. All that we have is yours, Lord, and we lift it up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.